Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. I'm going to have to have a talk with Pastor Lynn. You've got to keep that special music till after the preacher's done. You can't follow that stuff. It's always setting us up for a fail. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Okay, well, take your Bibles, and we'll open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to be exploring the passages, uh, the verses, rather, of 17 through 22. I guess this, I got a little typo on your uh, bulletin thing. It says 7, but we're going to be in 17 through 22. And we're going to talk about the wrong way to come together. That sounds like a title, right? The wrong way to come together. When you, when you start something like that, you, you know you're, uh, you're learning your lessons from a group of people that went through the school of hard knocks, so to speak. You, know, when you're, you watch them to find out the wrong way to do it. But that's so often what we have in the book of 1 Corinthians is uh, we're seeing, unfortunately, the wrong way, uh, the, the, the non-honoring to Christ. All right. Well, as we get into this portion of Scripture, we're beginning to move into this passage that talks about the Lord's Supper. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper probably for the next few messages as we kind of flesh out uh, the, remainder, excuse me, the remainder of chapter 11 and all that we can talk about in this chapter So we're going to look at these five verses more closely this morning. Now, imagine with me for a little bit. Think of you're attending one of our fellowship meals here at Falls Bible Church. And you you go downstairs right after the worship service. You walk down the steps and you go into the the fellowship hall area. And over at a table over here, you see there's a whole family sitting over here. And on the table, they've got a whole bowl of caramel apple salad. But you look and you realize that's, it's almost empty. And that family's all eaten on it. And it's almost gone. And they're keeping it all to themselves. Now I won't say what family I'm thinking about. <laughs> and you look over here and there's a couple sitting over here and they're halfway through some steaks. And you're just supposed to be starting this right now. And then you look, and then you come, and you see the people behind you are coming in, and you've got a family coming behind you that you know doesn't have much and doesn't have a lot to share. And they come in, and they're on the, the fellowship table down there. All there is is a few pieces of bread and some things like that, and that's all that's left for some of these that don't have much, some of these families. <clears throat> and then you notice in the, toward the back of this uh, fellowship hall, there's another group of people back there with a bottle of something they're drinking, And you notice they look a little drunk. What would you think about that kind of fellowship meal? (laughs) You wouldn't think a whole lot about it, would you? And thank the Lord, that is not what we do here. (laughs) You've never experienced anything like that here. And I know that for a fact. But if you went to one of the fellowship meals at Corinth, that's exactly what you were finding. They just didn't have caramel apple salad, to my knowledge. (laughs) That's the kind of thing Paul's dealing with when he wrote this epistle. The the, the letters to the Corinthians, you know, you can usually read those letters, and uh, it's always going to make you feel pretty good about your church, because usually you're not going to be that far down of where they were on so many issues, where they were struggling with so many issues that revolved around their own selfish desires. Now, you think back to that fellowship meal I was, I was hypothetically putting before your imaginations there of those things happening. 
Now let's pretend for a moment we were calling that meal, that that's, that's the way we chose to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Not only was it just a meal, but we were saying this is our remembering the Lord's sacrifice. This is how we're doing it. And then all that stuff was going on. Wouldn't that even make it a lot worse? It would even that much worse. You're putting the Lord's name on this and saying this is what you think he wants us to do? That's the kind of situation Paul's dealing with here. The Corinthians, their motto as we read through this book was, all things are lawful for me. Do whatever I want under grace. Do whatever I want. Let's do whatever I want. No consideration for others. They were abusing God's grace. They were using it as a license for selfish and worldly behavior, and they were dishonoring the name of Christ in their own fellowship and therefore into the community that they were to serve. And again, that's what our text is dealing with this morning. Paul now turns the attention to what the Corinthians were calling the Lord's Supper and how they were doing things. And he starts he's going to correct it just like he's corrected other things. This is not the way. Let's read our passage again, uh, verses 17 through 22. And I think you'll see why, again, I've titled this passage the wrong way to come together. Verse 17, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. How would you like an apostle to write that to you? (laughs) I do not praise you. I don't want any confusion. (laughs) I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Again, just so there's no confusion, I do not praise you. It says it twice for... Emphasis. So he's dealing with this problem in the church now, how they were conducting themselves at what they were calling the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to kind of explore this in two main points. Uh, the First of all, we're going to talk about how problems in the church reveal the faithful of the church. So we're going to see some positive come out. But we're also going to talk about how exercising liberty without love leads to pain. And that's a phrase you've heard me say all through 1 Corinthians, at least for the last several chapters, because Paul's showing him, yes, you have liberty, but don't you also have love that limits your liberty in ways that honors Christ and serves others? If you don't, if you throw off love, then you're going to go into anarchy and chaos and what they're doing in their church. That's what it's going to look like. When no one gives any consideration for anyone else, that's what it will become. Everybody's going to do what's right in their own eyes, so to speak. And again, that's what's going on here. So let's look at the, we'll take the first few verses here in our passage as we talk about the idea of of, of how problems in the church reveal the faithful of the church with the idea that God can work good even in these kinds of situations. Verse 17 again says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. 
For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So first thing we see right away, very clear, the Corinthians were divided even in observing the Lord's Supper. We already know from the early chapters they were divided when they came together as a church. It said, some said, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. Remember that way back in the early chapters? And he has to deal with that. And then we read about how some of them were suing each other, apparently, taking them to the magistrates, taking them under the law over what appears to be petty, trivial, personal disputes. And then they, he dealt with um, uh, how some were going to idol temples and, and you know all these different things they're struggling with. They already were divided. We know they were divided. But even when now we come to this thing about the Lord's Supper, and, and if in anything in the church there should be unity, it's when we come together as one body to do the Lord's Supper where we remember the one body of Christ that was given for us and the blood that he shed. And yet, and even when they did this, they were divided to the extent of the things we read. Cliques, got the drunken clique over here, the, the, the people over here hoarding all the food, the wealthy hoarding food, the poor nothing to, you know, nothing to have, and, and, and saying this is the Lord's Supper. They were divided even in this. I, that's one of the things you can say about They even messed up the Lord's Supper. They even couldn't even do communion right. <laughs> you know? And uh, you remember the Jeff Fox where then he had those, you might be a redneck quotes. Well, if you ever got into a food fight at communion, you may be a Corinthian. <laughs> that's the kind of way they did. Everything they touched just blew up. So Paul's dealing with this here. They're divided even the Lord's Supper. They were doing it in a wrong way. That's what verse 17 says. They're coming together not for the better, but for the worse. It's like the, this is like the worst thing you could be doing. And that's what you're doing when you come together. It's not good. Now we, we need to understand as we, we think about the Lord's Supper in this context, we need to understand what was going on there in the first century in places like Corinth. Um, when the church came together, they regularly ate together. It's just, if nothing, that was at least just practical. If you're traveling from all parts of a city to meet together for a while to, to, to hear God's word together, you're going to eat together. You're not going to hop in your car and go through the drive-thru. That doesn't exist. You're going to eat together on just practical terms. We actually see this in the scripture at times. Uh, Acts 20 verse 7 captures this where it tells us that uh, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And that was at the place, city called Troas. And it talks about how they came together and they're going to eat together. And at that time, they were there until after midnight. There you go. <laughs> That's a long church service, right? But they were meeting together. Paul was there. It was just practical for people traveling to come together, to eat together in this kind of situation. And, and, I, and I said this a few weeks ago, but when you just look at the Bible as a whole, eating together is an expression of fellowship throughout Scripture. It just is. You know, that, uh, read, go back and read about Abraham going out and killing the, 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 the fatted calf or the lamb or something to, to, to show hospili- excuse me, hospitality to a stranger or somebody coming through. It, it was a way to show something eating together, sharing together. 
And even at the, at the temple, they had sacrifices where you could come and bring a sacrifice, a voluntary sacrifice, a love offering, and, and you would eat part of it while you were there. Part of it would go in the temple, and you would eat part of it. What's that showing? Unity between me and God. Kind of in like a little fellowship meal type of a situation. Eating together is just an expression of fellowship all through Scripture. So it is here. The church came together. They're fellowshipping in spiritual things. They're fellowshipping in physical things, eating together. That's all. It's still a picture of coming together as one. And so they were doing that. Um, and in that time, when they would come together for these meals, apparently a lot of times they called them agape feast, which means love feast. Uh, Jude mentions love feast in, in one passage of scripture, but it's the only place it's mentioned. But we understand from history and the culture that that's what the church would call them. They'd come together and have love feast. Sounds very similar to what a fellowship meal by today's standards is meant to be. You come, you share, eat together, fellowship together, right? Just experience that together. But, there, but in their time, the love feast seemed to be attached to the Lord's Supper. That's certainly what was happening here at Corinth that it was attached, that, that um, what they probably did, they came, they, they, they had their meal together, and then probably what they did, and it's hard to be dogmatic because we don't know exactly, we only have some, some evidence in Scripture to kind of piece it together, but at the, toward the end of that meal, that they would designate like the special observance of what we call the Lord's Supper, that they would do it kind of maybe at the tail end, okay? The reason for that is, when the Lord first instituted the Lord's Supper, you remember how it worked? The disciples, he came together with his disciples in the upper room, and, and we call it the Last Supper, right? And they were partaking of the Passover meal. He said, you need to go and prepare the Passover for me. And he wanted to have the Passover with them. And that just happened to be the last meal that he had. So they came together, they had the Passover meal, which was, a, which was in itself a memorial of what God did for Israel back in Egypt, way back in the book of Exodus. They had that meal. And, and then as the meal was ending, the Lord instituted something new. He took bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took the cup, he said, this is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. And he said that, and he, so he took, he took elements, everybody had bread and wine, and he, and he gave new meaning to these things, connecting it to what he was going to do on the cross. It was something new. So the Lord's Supper is not just the Passover, it's something different. But it started with the Passover, as that ended, something new was instituted with the Lord's Supper. And so probably the early church, because they knew that, just like we know it, they probably patterned their fellowship kind of like that. They came together for a meal. And at the end of the meal, they probably took the bread and took the cup and said, this is the one body, this is the blood. Okay, that's probably what was going on. That was at least the intention. And so those things kind of blur a little bit, but that's, that's what seems, at least to me, to be been of what was happening. Um, but then you read about what they were doing, right? Some people are walking around drunk, some people are hoarding the food, not sharing, and my goodness... This is, as he says in verse, um, uh, excuse me, verse 20, it's not the Lord's Supper. You cannot call it this because it's not what you're doing, okay? 
<clears throat> so, again, that's what's going on here. The Corinthians, again, so bent towards selfish behavior. We all are, really. But they weren't letting Christ come in and transform them with his grace. And so even this time, what we might call their fellowship meal and what we, we would think of as the Lord's Supper, they were ruining all of it. Just another time to abuse their so-called liberty in Christ at the expense of their very brethren. The main issue with the Corinthians was what I call me-ism. Me-ism. It's just about me. I'm only thinking about me. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it the way I want to do it. Me-ism. You can't be a body and be that way. As soon as you get two people, you get two people together that think like that, you're going to have a, a, a blow-up, let alone a whole group of people. Meism, a focus on self, that's what leads to other isms or wrong ideas. By the word ism, I mean these things we start to believe in. Maybe they're on our, our own opinion. Maybe they're the opinions or teachings of others. We have all kinds of isms. You know, We can get into legalism. We can get into doctrinal isms, all kinds of things. Meism leads to other isms, which then bring about schisms, which are divisions. Meism to isms to schisms. That's what's going on with the Corinthians. You put self first, it's only a matter of time before we're all divided up, chopped up, and divided like they were. And so often, just like we see here, it's a character thing. It's not so much doctrine all the time. The Corinthians, Paul doesn't really have to do a lot of doctrinal correction. He does some, especially about the resurrection. He makes it very clear in chapter 15. But most of the things he's dealing with are character issues. People that just don't really seem to like each other. Putting their own self first. It's character issues. I read a quote from Pastor, uh, Pastor C.R. Stam this week from his commentary on 1 Corinthians. And I appreciated what he wrote about his own experience. He says, For after more than 60 years of Christian service, this writer can scarcely recall one division among believers that was purely theological. Virtually all involved personal dislikes and animosities as well. And I have to say, even in my own limited experience, that seems to hold true. Um, We'll talk more about that as we go on, but... I have to say that's what I've seen. It's usually character things, how we treat each other. I heard a story, going back to the idea of fellowship meals, I heard a story, I read about it. I don't know where it happened, and I'm not saying it was anybody you would know. It was something I read online. It was about a fellowship meal, and and two women were in, in the line and had brought food, and all of a sudden they got into an argument. A very heated exchange. And it was over the fact that one of the ladies, in her dish, she used Cool Whip instead of real whipped cream. Now, it wasn't my wife's caramel apple salad. <laughs> they got into a heated argument. Ruined the whole meal. Not, not, not my wife. No. <laughs> over Cool Whip and whip, I mean... That's the kind of thing. If you're arguing about Cool Whip and whipped cream, you may be a Corinthian. <laughs> or acting like one anyway. It's when our allegiance to our opinions becomes more important than our love for one another. That's only going to bring disunity. 
It's just going to give us something else to fight over. That was the Corinthian way, unfortunately, at least of what we read about in this letter. They were divided. However, it wasn't all bad. At least that's not all the outcomes are bad. Look at verse 19. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized by you. Here we're going to talk about how dividing into factions revealed the faithful believers in the church. This is an interesting concept and one I didn't really fully appreciate until looking at it more closely in this context of what he's saying there in verse 19. What Paul seems to be saying is that when a group of people gets onto something, some kind of ism that leads to a schism, whether it's food-related or not, or whether it's doctrinal or just character-based behavior, when they get onto something that starts to lead them down a path, what do faithful people do? They stay right where they're at. They stay with Jesus Christ. What often division is in the church is, is a lot of times it's simply one person or group moves away from what Christ is really teaching in his word and what he's teaching us to be. And they're going a place you cannot follow. That's where a lot of division in the church comes from. I mean, there's other issues and other factors that go into that. But largely, a group will go down some tangent and go to a place you cannot go. And so we don't like division. We don't want division. But if a person decides that's where they're going, you got to let them go. You don't stay together and compromise everything. You don't compromise the truth. You don't compromise what godly character is, what the Bible talks about. And, and, and a lot of division is simply that. A lot of times, you know, and, and not all, sometimes division is, can, is two-sided and, and it's wrong. We go back, if you're arguing about Cool Whip and whipped cream, you know, what are you talking about? This is, this is not anything related to Christ. But if someone's going down a tangent about something that the word of God is clear on, about how we teach or what we are in Christ, you cannot follow them. And so a lot of times when people lament division in the church, I think sometimes you can go too far the other way and you think, let's just all go along to get along or get along to go along, right? And you cannot do that either. So that's why I think Paul's pointing out there must be factions, meaning that it's, it's necessary in a sense that there's division. Because as soon as one people go down the wrong way, it, it should be divided. You should separate. So there has to be division if someone's bent on going down the wrong path. It's necessary in that sense. But what does it reveal? See, here's the good. It reveals those who are approved. And that means those who have stood the, the test and trial of faith. They're standing with the Lord. They're the approved. That's what he's saying here. When these divisions, things in the church happen sometimes, people go down a place you cannot follow, the faithful stay right where Jesus Christ wants them. And then it becomes apparent. They're faithful. They're standing with the Lord while this other group or people are going down this path. That is what I believe he's saying there in verse 19. God, Paul believed God was at work. And he's pointing out, look, all this is doing is showing you where people are in their walk with the Lord. Either you're going down the tangents or you're being faithful to Christ. Now in your, your, your Bible there, verse 20, or excuse me, verse 19, it talks about 
uh, factions that may translate it as heresies because that is what the Greek word would transliterate to, heresy or faction. Uh, it simply means an opinion you hold to, something you hold to. And there's, again, where the factions come in so often. People are going to disagree on something. If it's Cool Whip, then, we're, then it's, we've got some other issues to work on. But if it's something biblical, then we need to really stand up and be faithful in the Lord's eyes and not worry about what other people are doing or saying about us or where they're going. We need to walk with the Lord. And I think that's the good we take away in verse 19. Again, it reveals the faithful believers in the church when these things happen. So we shouldn't think in our mind every time there's a division in the church that everything's bad. Sometimes there may be God's doing some good. Sometimes he may be separating out the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And I'll go back and say there's agreeing again with Pastor Stam in, in, in my own time in, in, in ministry, and I know there's others here that would echo this as well. There's been times you have to have difficult conversations with people. Sit down with them and talk about this is what we're seeing here, what's going on here. And and I've been in some of those kinds of things. And, and you know, again, usually... Almost every time that I can think of it, it didn't really have anything to do with what you taught about what the Bible meant. It was how you act and what you do with what you know. It was a complete lack of character in how you're treating other people. And we had, to, we had to sit down and deal with that and say, this is not where we're going as a church. This is not what we're about. And sometimes people listen and hear you and say, okay, I can see where you're coming from. That hasn't been as frequent as what you would want. Sometimes people say, okay, and then you don't see them. That's just what happens. But what's the outcome? We all want our churches to grow. We want to be big and thriving, but you have to stand with Christ, right? And it's, we don't like that. Some, we don't like what we have to do sometimes. We have to have these uncomfortable conversations sometimes. But that's, he is going to use those times to reveal the approved. Let's move on. Verses 20 through 22 here, where again we'll, we'll kind of explore more the idea now of exercising liberty without love and how that leads to pain, as what, definitely what the Corinthians were experiencing. As we'll see at the end of this chapter, he goes on and talks about how some were asleep and weakly, meaning some were sick and dying. And, and we'll have to talk about that when we get there. But there was certainly pain as an outcome of the division in their church. Serious problems leading to serious consequences. But it was ultimately liberty without love. Selfishness instead of selflessness for one another. Let's read 20 through 22. It says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. What we have here, the Corinthians were, were reveling in selfishness during the Lord's Supper. That's one way to summarize what they're doing here. They're reveling in their own selfishness. A time meant to be special and set aside for the Lord Will we recognize what we share in Christ? And they were doing so by sharing their food with one another. And yet, because it, it was, it was, everyone was throwing their own party, basically, and only serving themselves. And again, we see this gross abuse here. 
It moved away from what Paul had intended it to be when he told them about it. And so he says, this is not, this is not what I said the Lord's Supper is. This is not what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. Now, verse 21 gets more specific as about what was happening. When they were eating, one was taking his own supper ahead of others, which means some were bringing their food and not sharing it. Like that bowl of caramel apple salad I was giving you as a hypothetical to start. They brought their own supper, and they took it ahead of others. They didn't, even, they didn't wait for anybody else. They just sat down and started eating their supper independently of everybody else. No consideration for one another. And now what we understand from the context here is that those who were, were doing some of this, because it also talks about some are hungry and another is drunk, is that one of the things that was starting to come out in the Corinthian church was the divide between the wealthy and the poor. The wealthy could bring all kinds of food and wine to the meal together. The poor, well, they may have a few things they can bring, and they're supposed to be sharing, but instead, people over here are drinking to excess, getting drunk on what they brought and were hoarding, and over here, the poor have nothing. They're, they're still, they don't even get to eat hardly. They're hungry still. And so again, that seems to be what's coming out here is the divide between the poor and the wealthy. Galatians 3.28 tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that means everyone that's a believer in Jesus Christ is a member of his body and is equal before God. We are equal heirs with Jesus Christ. In Christ. And you can see in that verse I just read to you that it was not intended that economic status or, uh, or even, even uh, if you're male or female or, or if you were slave, whatever your political status, all these things, it wasn't, that wasn't to come out at the church time. That was, we come together, we're one in Christ. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what your societal status is. It just matters that you trust Christ as your Savior. And the Lord's Supper is meant to be an expression of that. Anytime we come together is meant to be an expression of the oneness we have in Christ. But one of the other divides that came in oftentimes in the first century church was that between rich and poor. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. So that was something else that wasn't meant to be a stumbling block when you come together as a church. How much money you got? How much wine you got? Do you got steak? Do you got what kind of bread you got? The Corinthians were abusing each other in this thing. You know, I read another story about some church division. This one's even more colorful. There was a, apparently there was a church where it basically split into two groups over something, over some preferences and opinions, again. And, and, and it was so, so much a split that each group chose like their, their leader, their one and only pastor figure, that I follow this guy and you follow that guy. That's, that, it was like almost like two churches in one building in kind of that sense. And there was a Sunday when they came together and they were divided 
and they began to try to outdo each other. And so the, both of those men came up to lead the service. And, and they each led a different hymn. And each side of the church was trying to sing a different hymn. And each side was trying to sing louder than the other. And then each of those men began to try to preach over one another. And apparently it even turned into a fist fight between these people. And the police had to come and separate them. Now that sounds, sounds like something you read in Corinthians. <laughs> But this, this is something in our modern time. But it just shows you, this is where selfishness and the flesh can take you unchecked. If, it's, if, it's, if your whole idea of church is about you, that's where it goes. That's where selfishness takes us, and that's where the Corinthians lived. They were reveling in selfishness, even during the Lord's Supper. And what does that bring? Christ is dishonored. You're calling this the Lord's Supper, and you're dishonoring the Lord in this. This is an oxymoron here. This is a paradox. You're not doing what he's calling you to be. So Christ was dishonored through their lack of consideration for one another. They just didn't care about each other. That was what's coming out here. So in verse 22, he begins to admonish them, and he says, You have houses to eat and drink in. Now, now, some take this as a, as a reference that, well, you shouldn't eat together in the first place. And I don't think that's what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you want to have your own little party, if you really, if you want to, you and your family want to, you know, just lay, have a feast in your home, do that in your home. Don't come to a time we've set aside and we say, hey, we're all one here, and bring all that individualism here. And we're going to do it my way, and I'm going to do what I want to do, and forget about you. He said, don't bring that here. Do that. You want to do that? Do it at home. You know, you want to have a private party and, and eat caramel apple salad till you're, you're, you, you vomit? Do that at home. <laughs> do that at home. You want to drink wine to excess? You need to do that at home. Don't bring that to when we come together. But that's essentially what they were doing. People were bringing my food, I'm going to eat it, you're not having any of it, and then it to excess. And that's where some were full, and some were hungry, some were drunk, some aren't getting anything to eat. They were dishonoring the Lord through all that. And he says to them, um, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Do you despise the church of God? That means to scorn or to insult. Your actions reveal your heart, and in your heart you're despising the church of God. You're, you're, you're despising these people that Christ died for, just like he died for you. Again, the, the, the church in the first century was the only group of people that came together that, that really transcended all of society. It, again, was the one group where ethnic background, gender, amount of wealth, status in life, it didn't prevent you from the fellowship. You weren't told to wait outside, so to speak. And what, that's exactly what they were turning it into, though. Those who have nothing, again, they, they shamed those who have nothing. Again, the poor, they were just bringing shame upon one another. 
So again, Paul says he cannot praise them. He cannot praise them because of what they've made the Lord's Supper. They've basically turned it into a drunken party. Just not good. And again, it showed their division. Now, Paul doesn't bring up Satan here in this context, but he brings up Satan later in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. And later he, he says there, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I think Paul knew that Satan would prey on their lack of love and forgiveness toward one another, their lack of unity. This would be something Satan would use. It would give him a foothold into their church. Just like we read here, they were hurting one another through this. A story is told about a father who caught his two sons quarreling. And he called them in and he gave the oldest one a small stick and asked him to snap it. And the son did so with a rebellious smirk on his face. The father handed him two sticks together and asked him to snap them, which he again did easily. Then there was three sticks, then four, five, then six. And by that time, the boy was straining to snap the sticks. Finally, with seven sticks, he had to admit defeat. And the father cautioned his sons that a house divided cannot stand. This is what Paul knew about the church. A church divided will, will be easy prey for Satan. You have to put this selfish stuff aside, get your focus on Christ, and come together as his body, whether it's a fellowship meal, whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether whatever it is. When we come together, it's for the Lord, and that's the right way to come together. Someone once wrote the following, This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It, it will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love, of faith and service. If I who make it what it is am filled with these, therefore with God's help I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I appreciate that quote. Simple. Christ wants to fill our hearts so we can minister to others. A lot of people out there looking for the perfect church to be a part of. I like this attitude. I want to give. I come to give. I want to be what Christ wants me to be. We put Christ first. We serve people. That's where the Christian life is at. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word, the power it has in our lives. Lord, make these things continue to be just true and real to us, Lord, as we just faithfully rest in you and walk in these things, Lord. Help us to recognize any selfish action and behavior and just move beyond it, Lord. 